Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There is no reality that's separate from Christ. Christ is ultimate reality. And all of those who are living their lives for any other purpose are living under a delusion, everyone. And so the the practical application for us is if we're going to display the preeminence of Christ to the world, Christ must be preeminent in our lives. We must be fully surrendered to him. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 18 in a message titled, Christ Preeminent. Now here's Pastor Brian. He is the firstborn over all creation and that flows right into the next point. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's actually the one who did the creating. He created everything. Now, sometimes I think we mistakenly think that the creation account in Genesis 1, that's the place where we're told in the Bible that God created everything. People have a really difficult time in those early chapters of Genesis. So they think, oh, well, that, you know, that, that, probably is mythological or, you know, they tend to sort of uh, dismiss that. But did you know that that's one of dozens of places in the Bible where God declares himself to be the creator? God says it over and over again. We studied recently through the, the prophecy of Isaiah. And if you were with us, we saw in those chapters, especially, you know, chapter 40 through 50, we saw how God declares over and over again, I am the Lord. I created the heavens. I created the earth. I created human beings. I put their spirit within them. I breathed on them. Over and over, God says this. But when we get to the New Testament, interestingly, what's clarified in the New Testament is that the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he's actually the, he's the, specifically the creator. And that's what Paul tells us here. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So think about that for a moment. The invisible realm. So there is an invisible realm. There is a whole world that we can't access or see from where we are. And that world is inhabited by what he calls here principalities, powers, dominions, authorities, mights, however it might be translated. He's talking about the spiritual world. And this would include the holy angels, but it would also include those rebellious uh, spirits. Satan, commonly we've referred to him that way. Satan being the head over that. But the point is that Jesus created all of these things. Now, when he created them, they were, there was harmony and there, there was you know, submission to his authority, but there came a rebellion. And, and Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he tells us about the principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. But 
Paul's point is that Christ is the creator of all things in heaven, the invisible, but he's also the creator of all things on earth, the visible. Now, this is something that I wish I could just get my own mind trained for this. And I think if every one of us could get our minds trained in this way, how wonderful it would be. You know, one of the things I really admired about my father-in-law, Pastor Chuck Smith, was his love for nature. I mean, he just really loved nature. And he knew everything about like plants and you know, flowers and things like that. And my wife, she's, she's pretty amazing. She knows quite a bit too, but her dad taught it to her. You know, they used to take walks and he would point out this tree and he would point out that flower and he would tell her this and that about it. And I just think that is so wonderful. And, you know, he would have all this interesting information about little animals and bugs and things like that. You know what? I wish that my brain would absorb that stuff too. Because that is just a reminder to us of the glory of Jesus if we understand it properly. Or, you know, you think of all all the creatures and things like that. My grandson, for his birthday, he got a little colony of praying mantis. Now, praying mantis are insects, for those of you who don't know. And they're kind of like the dinosaur of the insect world. They're kind of like the Tyrannosaurus rex of the insect world. They're these amazing creatures. They look like a stick. You would most of the time never even know that they're alive. They situate themselves on a branch. So they just look like they're part of the branch. And then something comes by that they want to eat. And they just snatch that thing up as quick as lightning. And they devour it. And then nobody knows the difference. It's just like, wow, what happened there? And so my grandson, he's, he's really into the praying manna. So he you know, sends me videos. He tells me what they're eating and all of this kind of stuff. But let me say this. When we look at that stuff, we have to remember Jesus made that. Now, our minds have been so conditioned by naturalism and so conditioned by evolutionary theory and all of that. And even if we don't believe that, sometimes we just sort of think almost in those terms. But when we look at creation, When we look at nature, we need to understand, as N.T. Wright said, he said, when the lavish and generous beauty of the world makes you catch your breath, remember that it is like that because of Jesus. Do we do that? He is the creator of all things. They were created by him and they were created for him, which means that all of creation ultimately will serve to glorify him and fulfill his purpose. So many things in creation that we don't even know anything about, right? But even the stuff that we know a little bit about, you might scratch your head and wonder, now how does that ultimately fulfill the purpose of Christ? I don't know at this point. And of course, we live in a fallen world as well. And even though it's a fallen world, it's still a majestic world. But Paul tells us that everything is purposed toward him. And then he says that he is before all things. So he is before all things. So obviously, if he's the creator, he precedes the creation. So the all things would be the material universe. So he is before that, meaning that he is eternal. He is the one who has no beginning. He has no end. 
He is the eternal one. And then he says that he is not only before all things, but in him, all things consist. All things consist in him. Or as a newer translation would read, all things are held together by him. So this is amazing because what Paul is telling us is that presently, Christ is holding the universe together. See, sometimes we talk about the laws of nature and the laws of physics and things like that. And we think that, well, you know, yeah, this is how it all works. And this is why this does this and that doesn't do that. And yet, according to scripture, those things are the way they are because of Christ. That he is presently holding all things together. Now, we know that all material things are made up of atoms. We know that atoms are made of protons and electrons, but we don't know how or why they do what they do. We don't know. The smartest people when it comes to physics and these kinds of things, you know, they can tell you about the atom, the proton, the electron, the neutron. They can tell you, you know, about this through observation, but they can't tell you like why it is this way or how it is this way. There is a mystery. Why does the atom hold together? What holds it together? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem like it should hold together. Well, Look what Paul says here. By him, all things are held together. So when we get up every morning and we see what seems to be like the sun rising, I don't want to be unscientific here, right? It's not really the sun rising, it's the earth turning. But when we see that sunrise and when we see the sunset in the evening, if you are down on the coast and you're able to watch the sun, you know, sink into the Pacific there. And then as the darkness descends, the moon begins to shine brightly. You know, as we look at all of this stuff, isn't it true that we just so often like, oh, hey, that's beautiful. That's great. Oh, that's wonderful. And then, you know, we're off to looking at our phones or something. But if we stopped and thought, wow, This happens because of Jesus Christ. He holds all things together. Amazing. He holds all things together. And then Paul says, sixthly, he is the head of the body, the church. So so think about everything Paul's talking about. This person who is the image of God, this person who is the creator of all things, this person who is eternal, who has always existed. This person who is sustaining everything, he's also the head of the body of the church. Wow, how amazing is that? How encouraging is that? That he's the head. Now, when the scriptures speak of Christ being the head, that's really speaking of the fact that he is the one who directs and controls the body of the church. Just as our bodies are directed and controlled by our our brains and our central nervous system, so Christ is the head of the body. He's the the mind, the brain. And some people have likened the, the central nervous system as the Holy Spirit. And then 
the church is made up of the various members of the body. And so this one who is the great and preeminent king of the universe is also the head of the church. Amazing. And if we, I think if we ever could grasp that as the people of God, and of course, if we could ever get the analogy and really understand it, we would understand this, that the body only functions properly in as much as it is receiving its, the signals from the head. And if we all understood that and said, you know what? We can't really do anything ourselves. We're gonna, we just gotta stay connected to the head. And we'll get our, our direction, our instruction. We'll, we'll get that from the Lord. If, if every one of us could get to that place as the body of Christ, you know what you would have? You would have unity. But unfortunately, we have the battle between the flesh and the spirit, and we have all of those things that prevent that. But the reality is Christ is the head of the body, whether we acknowledge it or realize it or experience it at times. But he is the head of the body, the church. And so what that means practically is that Christ by the spirit intends to lead and empower his people to love one another and to work together for his purposes. So that's what the head is seeking to do. And then finally, he is the firstborn from the dead. So here's that word that we came across earlier, prototokos. And it, again, it is a word that can mean first in order or first in rank. So the first use, as I said, was first in rank. Now it is, I think, first in order. Now, some have said, no, it's the, it's the same here because it says Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And I even read one commentator who said, well, it can't be first in order because Christ isn't the first one to rise from the dead. Other people rose from the dead. But I think that's incorrect. I think that Christ is the first to rise from the dead in the fullest sense of what is being talked about here. Because think about every other person that was raised from the dead, whether it's an Old Testament account or a New Testament account, what did they all have in common? They all died again. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in that he rose from the dead never to die again. He rose from the dead and received his glorified body, and he walked on the earth in that glorified body. And he sat with the disciples, and he had a meal with them in the glorified body. And so he is the firstborn from the dead in the sense that, of course, he's, yes, obviously, we would say he's the first in rank. He's the most important of those who rise from the dead. But when Paul says he's the firstborn from the dead, meaning he's the first one and his resurrection guarantees the resurrection of all who are part of his body. And so Paul put it another way in writing to the Corinthians in the 15th chapter. He said he referred to Christ as the first fruits and those who are Christ at his coming. So the resurrection began with Christ. He's the first fruits. And then the next phase will be those who are Christ at his coming. They will then participate in the resurrection. And so Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He conquered death. And he did that on our behalf. 
And so the final thing Paul says here is that he may have the preeminence. All of this is that he may have the preeminence. And then verse 19 says, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. We're gonna pick up there next time, but we just wanna add that on. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Remember, we go back, what's the philosophy that's undermining the glory of Christ? Oh, Christ is, he's an emanation. We, we can't really get, you know, we can't expect to connect directly with God because of our impurity. So, so Christ is, is just one of many emanations from God. And Paul says, oh no, the fullness of the divine nature dwells in him. He is, like I said, he's not simply an emanation from God. He is God himself. And so Christ preeminent is the Father's plan, and his plan cannot be thwarted. Christ preeminent. God is in the process of moving history toward the final demonstration of the preeminence of Christ. That's what's going to happen when Jesus returns. It's going to once and for all be settled. It's going to be said and done that Jesus is Lord, that he is the preeminent one, and God is in the process of bringing that about. And as I said, his plan cannot be thwarted. His plan cannot be thwarted. Christ is preeminent, and that will be ultimately seen. But for now, his preeminence is to be acknowledged, honored, submitted to, and displayed through the church. So the world today is not thinking of Christ at all. And oftentimes, even if they are thinking of Christ, they're not thinking of of the biblical Christ. They're thinking more of this uh, philosophical Gnostic kind of a Christ. But the church is the place where the true Christ is known and honored and glorified. And it's through the church that God wants to display the preeminence of Christ to the world. And, you know, this brings us back to that the church is, as we read, the body of Christ. We are, we are the representation of Christ. And we are to display that preeminence of Christ. In other words, Christ, in order for us to display his preeminence to the world, he has to be preeminent to us. In other words, he has to be everything to us. He has to be first. The CSB just translates it that that Christ might be first in everything. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is Christ first in our lives? And if not, why not? And how could it be that we wouldn't have Christ first in our lives, especially once we understand who he is? I mean, he is ultimate reality. There is no reality that's separate from Christ. Christ is ultimate reality. And all of those who are living their lives for any other purpose are living under a delusion, everyone. And even sometimes the people of God are living delusionally because even though Christ is preeminent, we're not really submitting ourselves to that. 
And so the, the practical application for us is if we're going to display the preeminence of Christ to the world, Christ must be preeminent in our lives. We must be fully surrendered to him. And that's where I want to leave you today. Are we fully surrendered to him? If not, why not? How could it be that we could look at this Jesus Christ, this, this image of the invisible God, the, this one who created us, and somehow say, well, I, I don't really want his authority over my life. I, how could we even think that way? We could only think that way if we're misthinking, if we're in some way delusional. Here's the truth. Again, to quote from N.T. Wright, he said, the more we get to know and know about Jesus Christ, the more we will understand who the true God is and what he's done, who we are as a result, and what it means to live in and for him. Boy, that's what we want to do. We want to live in and for him. And considering the state of the world I don't know why anybody would want to live anywhere else because there's no hope. There's no solution. There's no answer. There's nothing but hostility and animosity and, and you know, all the stuff that we see going on in the culture presently. And for all of that, there's only one solution and that is Christ. And we have the incredible privilege of knowing Christ and then making him known to others. And that's what we can never forget. We have to remember that this is all about Christ in the end. It's not about my comfort. It's not about me. It's not about our nation even. It's about Christ and his preeminence and his preeminence is displaying itself in bringing all things into submission to himself. And that means people that look like they are so far gone that there is absolutely no way that they could ever turn, but they can because God is able. And so may God help us to, for ourselves, to remember the preeminence of Christ. If I lose sight of this, if I, you know, if honestly, if I get my eyes off of Jesus and onto the situation, it's distressing. It causes anxiety. It's unpleasant. But if I keep my focus on God is at work, God is in control, God is doing something bigger than what I might be able to understand if I remember that Christ is preeminent and all that's happening is God's will to display that preeminence of Christ, then I can rest and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Today, there are so many things swirling around in the culture regarding sexuality, regarding the body, regarding ideas like, well, 
my body says I'm one thing, but my mind tells me I'm something else. How do we make sense of this stuff? Are there biblical answers? And yes, there are. My good friend Sam Albury has written a book called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And in it, he's going to address the issues of same-sex relations. He's going to address transgenderism and several other things that pertain to our bodies. And he's going to address these current issues. He's going to do it in a very biblically sound way and a very loving and gracious way at the same time. So I want to highly recommend What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. Check it out. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. You can order the book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Colossians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.